Hello and welcome into the Monjumper Podcast with Mike and Mike. This is Mike Dawson, the managing editor of Monjumper Magazine, and my co-host, who will be checking in from a castle in Ireland where he's teaching the 21 Drum Camp, is Mike Johnson of MikeFlessons.com. In this episode, we talk about Von Femme's former drummer, Victor De Lorenzo. We take a listen to Zildjian's new S family B12 bronze cymbals, and we discuss some thoughts on how to build a nice musical drum solo. We have some listener questions to get to, and we have our picks of the week, so let's get rolling. Wow, that was uh, not an easy setup for old episode 54. Running around a castle in Ireland trying to find the best Wi-Fi signal. Now I'm in the freaking closet with all the computer gear and all the outboard gear. And We've gone wow. international. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we need to go international together. It'll make the podcast much easier. How are you, man? I'm good. I'm doing all right. I haven't been traveling, so how are you? I'm, <clears throat> I'm good, man. Um, the flights were nice and easy. I went... You know how the drum industry is. It's got to save money on flights. So I went California to Dallas, Texas, Dallas, Texas to London, which passes Ireland, then <laughs> back from London to to Dublin, Ireland. So Is it how far from uh, Dublin? It was, not bad. Um, you mean the where the camp is? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was probably like an hour drive. So okay. we're, we are literally out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, there's just so much history where we are it's pretty incredible honestly and uh i mean there's all these artifacts not artifacts but just belongings left over from when michael jackson was living here he lived here for like the last six months of his life so he he gave the owner of the studio a bunch of money and said go to taiwan and go to singapore i want artifacts i want religious artifacts from both those places sprinkled around the grounds here so you're in this I, who knows you're in this amazing Irish you know place where some pretty cool battles went down and everything and then you'll be walking through like the foresty green stuff and then all of a sudden you just see this weird Asian relic it's really quite odd because they left all of it here uh, so I mean part of me wants uh, to say yeah, he just he just wanted to request the strangest stuff to see if they would do it you know, like, oh go, yeah go somewhere would, really far away from Ireland and get me stuff yeah. <laughs> Get me some cool stuff. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty amazing, man. And then, crazy coincidence. So there's two... There's the main castle here, and then there's another house that they own that is probably, <clears throat> excuse me, a five-minute walk from here at the most. Well, a very famous producer is staying there, and, you know, I'm doing this camp with Mark Juliana and Ash Sowen, and that producer is the producer that did the Black Star record with Mark. Oh wow! Just happens to be here at the exact same time, so <laughs> it'll be a good connection for them to hang out again. That's awesome. Yeah, man. So yeah, I'm excited. <clears throat> uh, Ash gets here tomorrow morning, and then uh, Mark gets here Wednesday morning, and camp starts on Wednesday. Wait, what's the theme this year? Uh, it's very different. So last year the theme was that every day was one subject, and then you got three perspectives. You got Sput's perspective, Mark's perspective, and my perspective on that subject. This year. Ash and Mark are just kind of teaching their own thing, and then I'm teaching the campers how to practice it with the four-stage practice method. Oh, cool. So I'll take whatever Mark taught and say, and tell the guys, okay, where does this fit? Is this creative? Is this non-creative? Is this brand new to you so it's main focus? Is it musical application? And it's like, I want to make sure when you go home, these aren't just notes. How do you actually put this into practice? So, and how long should you practice? And what type of focus should you be giving it? Should you be growing this? Or is this something that just is exactly what it is? It's just a physical skill set. So I think it'll. I won't be giving them any new information. I'll be giving them tools to use the information they're getting from Mark and Ash. And I think that'll be helpful for them. Yeah, good strategy. 
That'll be fun. Yeah, man. How's, so no gigs? Or do you got gigs coming up? Uh, yeah. Oh, you know what? I just got invited to uh, teach a like a one-day workshop down in Philly for the Philly Drum uh, Project, which would be oh, fun. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I'm going down there tomorrow to do all day of... Uh, I'm teaching a... a tr- like Each teacher has three students, and we have to get them to compose a five-minute piece for three drummers. And then they do a wow. recital. Yeah. <laughs> Super cool, and they're all high Wait, school. Wait, and you kids. have one day to do this? I have like three hours. Yeah, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's pretty wild. Now, have you? All, are you going to compose it on the spot with them, given their skill level, or have you, have you already come up with something? Well, my strategy is going to be um, because they're all high school age, like like eighth grade to recently graduate high school. So they're all that fourteen to maybe eighteen years old. So what I'm going to do is, and I don't think any of them know each other. So I'm going to have them. Uh, you know, just play for like a half hour just to kind of get comfortable with each other so there's no embarrassment of he's better than me or whatever whatever stuff might happen. Right. None of us are going to know each other. But then my my objective, we'll see how it goes, is I'm going to have each one of them come up with a groove that they like, whatever that is, and they're going to teach it to the other two guys, and then we're going to break the, the groove down into three parts. So one person's going to play the bass drum part, one person's going to play the snare drum part. Oh, cool. One person will play the ride part or the tom melody, whatever it is. And then sure. once once that kind of evolves, uh, two of the guys are going to just play the whole groove while the third guy solos over it. And then we'll just oh, nice. keep breaking it down, do some unison figures to get to the next section. So we'll do three rounds of that, of building up a groove and then have a one-person solo over it. We'll see. I mean, I, it, you know, we'll see what happens. It's going to be fun. It was like a last minute. They just asked me uh, yesterday or something to come down. So we'll see how it goes. That's so cool, man. Yeah. So, so what is that. the Philly Drum Project? It's a nonprofit in Philadelphia where they um, they just go out and it, they just create they put on I think weekly hangs where anyone can come out and okay. they have like guest speakers do topics on whatever they they can play they can give a clinic they can teach they can bring student ensembles in and they have I think once a month they have like more like formal events and then every year they do a summer camp and that's what this is. So wow. it's it's all free. I mean, the, the students just apply, and if they get accepted, they come for free. So I'm going to be there. There's going to be, gosh, I think there's like 10 other instructors, some of the best drummers from the Philadelphia area, and Charlie Hunter, the guitarist, is coming down. Oh, to yeah, do, of course. Yeah, he's going to be one of the teachers. So it should be a lot of fun. And oh, there's a big recital tomorrow night. So we'll see That's awesome, man. Yeah. Well, have a, have a blast. Have a blast. That should be a good time. Yeah. Well, let's get into some education, talking about pretty much what you just went through, which is you're creating a drum solo for three drummers. Yeah. And I wanted to talk about what it's like to create a drum solo for one drummer. And there's different kinds of drum solos. There's you know musical application drum solos where you're playing in your band, and it's a cover situation, and they introduce the band, and everybody takes a four-bar solo or maybe a 16-bar solo. Uh there's the kind of drum solos that I do where you walk out onto stage. I was just talking to the guys at dinner about this, uh, what it's like to walk out on stage and the drum set is dead quiet. There's a room full of drummers. Everyone's staring at you. There's no backing tracks. And if you even bump into the snare, it will reverberate through the entire room because it's all mic'd. So the, the second you make the smallest ghost note from that moment on, that room is filled with your sound. So that's one kind of drum solo. Uh, the other time is playing a solo with backing tracks so you have a vamp going on behind you that's kind of holding you and keeping you in check tempo-wise and feel-wise. So, Now, do you play drum solos very often? 
I don't. Or do you have and, the chance to? I don't really, and, and it's it's something I practiced a lot when I was younger, but I don't practice it enough now, and that's why I thought this would be a good topic because I need to learn different approaches as well. It, I find drum solos really daunting because there's too many mm-hmm. options, and it's I get insecure about how far to go with it. Like I, I don't like self indulgent drum solos. I find them really sure. Uh, it's just not my thing. It doesn't. It's so out of context for my personality. But I do like a good drum solo, like a well crafted right. musical story on the drums. So no, I don't play a lot. I had to play one this weekend at a gig that was kind of like a Tower of Power song, and okay. I had to kind of stick to the form. So it was in the song, okay. it was in the song, but it was like a break towards the end um, where it was just me. So it was kind of like a more of a groove solo, but I still didn't feel like I really said anything. So it was kind of. There's always that moment of every gig. I'm like, wow, that was an opportunity that I lost. Like, what, what was I doing? Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's so, so I, you funny. know, I don't. I need to. I need to work on it again. So, I I wanted to ask you about when you are presented with a clinic, and you know you're going to give a mm-hmm. drum solo. How does that develop? What is your yeah, process? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm in the middle of it right now because this camp ends with a clinic in Dublin on the 15th, and I'm going. Each of us get 20 minutes, and it each of us solo for like 10 of that 20. Uh, So it's, and in our situation, the drummers that I'm doing the clinic with, they don't leave the stage. So Ash and Mark stay on their kids right next to me. Yeah. (laughs) That's not intimidating. Dude, no, not at all. Uh, Not at all. No, it's great. And, uh, (laughs) and, and like, you almost feel bad. It's like, dude, stop nodding your head. I know you're not enjoying this. Just, just turn around. (laughs) That's He's what I mean. Like full. That's what I mean. It's yeah. that uh, that self-critical that self-defeat. Yep. Yeah, yeah, I it's bullcrap, and <clears throat> and you know that it's all in your head, and that's what I've been. Pra- I've actually been practicing that moment mentally more than anything else. But the first thing I do is come up with some sort of theme because I am playing by myself, so I've got to come up with something that's going to at least give me almost a safety zone to come back to if I stretch too far. It's like, okay. what is holding this whole thing together? So in this one particular solo that I'm playing, obviously I don't know really any of the notes that make it up. I just know the environments that I'll be visiting. Okay. So it starts with this little, almost like a jazz figure where it's a kick right, left. Then when you hit the left, you hold it and then hit the stick. So uh-huh. it's like a total jazz lick. Yeah. So it's um, and I'm feeling his triplet, so it's good bing, and then from that moment on, everything is free for two bars. So it's good bing, three, four, bing. So it has this theme to it, um, and that's where things start. And in the beginning, it's just that little motif; it just happens, and then it slowly builds, and then things build from there. But it also has to be in a tempo that I'm very comfortable improvising in. It can't just be a random tempo. It has to be like my home tempo. When I tap my foot to no music, what do I tap my foot? Like, what's my tempo if I'm not even listening to music? So I try to think of that before I even start. I definitely don't think in in any sort of form. I'm not thinking I'm going to do this for th- 32 bars. I think okay. I'm going to – I th- as soon as I start, that is this environment. And I think of it as a new town. Like, I've just gotten to a new town, and at first I'm going to stay – where I'm familiar. I'm just going to stay in that environment that I'm really comfortable with, my home base. And then I'm going to venture out and go down a new street. And then I'm going to come back to home base. And I'm going to venture out a little further and venture out a little further. And eventually I will have completely explored that environment. And however long that takes, that's when I know it's time to move on to the next environment. 
so that environment, I would say, is probably going to take up about two to three minutes of the solo. I'm thinking of it more in minutes because because yeah. clinic solos are like ten minutes long. You yeah. Know? So yeah. it's it's definitely not to me a 64 bar thing or a 32 bar thing at all. Um, and I mean, I think naturally, I keep my phrasing in, in kind of like an eight bar phrasing cycle. Right. That's just built in from playing music. But that's but that's about as much thought as I give it. After that. Then I move on to a, a new environment, and that new environment is the only thing that is thought out. The drumming between the first note I play and the next environment is not thought out whatsoever. There's, I, the last thing I want is licks and chops and memorized patterns in my head. So the next environment, what I have to decide is, is it in the same tempo, or am I going to use something rhythmically to get me to a new tempo to give it some a new feel? Uh, so obviously watching that Aaron Sterling uh, masterclass. I was thinking, like, I do that a lot. Like, I'll start introducing every third sixteenth note, foreshadowing. Pretty soon, these these groupings of every third sixteenth note that'll actually become the quarter note pulse of my new tempo. Right. Uh, so if I'm if I'm just you know jamming in this, and I start going one e and a two e and a three, uh, 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 one two three four one two three, and I've just but I, I foreshadow it for probably sixteen bars of just giving them a little bit of groupings of three, staying in 4-4, four, four, and then eventually going over the bar line, over the bar line, and now it's our new tempo. So th- that's something that, if I am going to do that, I have to be really cautious in the beginning, because if I start too fast, then when I jump to that, that will <laughs> yeah. be way too fast. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but, so let's say that for this solo, that's going to be my, my choice. So I start off at, a, I would say, maybe 90 BPM. Then I play that for like three minutes. Then I play every third 16th note. That jumps me up to my new faster tempo. Then to get back to my original tempo, it's every fourth eighth note triplet. One and a two and a three and a four and a one and a two and a three and a four. Yeah. And now I'm back to my original tempo. Uh, and it's not mathematically perfect, but it's close enough that it all makes sense. And then my original motif will make sense again to get me out of the solo. So generally, at the most, I'll visit three environments, explore them completely, and then have a motif from the beginning of the solo that I can use at the end so the audience knows I did everything on purpose. It yeah. was improvised, but it wasn't just random jamming. Because I, I, th- I think they might feel cheated if I just got up there and jammed for 10 minutes. So that's an ABA form, kind of? Pretty much, yeah. I would say I would say it's probably <clears throat> A B C, and then with an A right at the end. So okay. um, because I, I would do three completely separate environments, but that third one would be in the tempo that allows me to get back to my original motif. Yeah, all right. Yeah. So and and that's and really that's not even overly thought out. It's just around my third environment. I'm like, it's cool. I mean, <laughs> I don't know how much more of me you, I, I've given you. What I got, <laughs> you don't need. <laughs> You don't need to hear like, oh, now let me go into the bio for a while and let me oh, yeah. go into 7-8 and 9-8. It's, it's kind of like, cool, these are the three things that are showing up the most in my playing right now. But that, I will tell you this. The one thing I had to really come to terms with is you don't have enough time to show them everything you've ever learned in your entire life. Show them what you're into right now because you'll play it better than anything else from your past. If you're truly into it, passionate about this type of drumming and this vibe that you've been practicing, you'll be so excited to share it with them Rather than having that guilt of like I'm just regurgitating old crap that I've been able to do since I was 12. Yeah, you know? um, I, I like the excitement of like oh I can't wait for you to see what I've been working on, and it's a little bit of a higher wire act. There's a good chance I'm going to fall on my face, but you and I have been playing drums long enough to know it's like even when it goes bad, I still have enough get out of jail free cards. The audience yeah. won't know it went that bad. You know, um, I come off the stage going like oh my god, 
please tell me no one filmed that for YouTube. And then they do, and I see it, and I'm like, that was nowhere near as bad as I thought it was. It, was, it wasn't what I wanted, but it wasn't a train wreck in any way. You know? Yeah. So, so yeah. So, I mean, that's kind of what I go through leading up for these things. But it, it's, it's such a hard thing to teach to somebody else because it's such a random skill to need to, on a monthly basis, play a 10-minute drum solo. I mean, yeah. it's, it's like besides drum set clinicians who needs to do that you know yeah, or somebody I mean, that has like their own drum band like the dave weckel band yeah i mean that's what i mean i mean i've i play i don't know 20 gigs a month and i've done maybe two sort of drum <laughs> solos you know so it's right. like how do you it's like it's it's like spanish like i was semi-fluent in high school but i don't practice right. it anymore so now i'm back to like barely even know you know how to ask for yeah. the bathroom so it's just you and, have to practice and you know it. what it's the same thing. Like at some point I had to inv- invent musical situations for myself. Cause I practiced soloing so much. I couldn't stop soloing in a musical situation. Mm. I forgot what it was like to lock with a bass player. I forgot what it was like to care about the feel of the groove. All I thought about was, Oh, let me tell a story through this verse. It's like, okay, <laughs> my priorities are way out of shape. <laughs> so that you, all of this stuff, if you don't practice it, it's not that you lose it. It just it does need to be kept up. You know, yeah. you can't you can't just get into great physical shape and then decide, okay, I don't ever need to go to the gym again. I'm in good shape. It's like, okay, well, you're going to lose it. You yeah, need to exactly. at the bare minimum maintain it. So, I think having a healthy balance is good. I, I still teach private lessons because I get scared that someday I'll only be able to teach to a camera and not be able to teach a human being. Right. Because um, because yeah. even even my camps, that's teaching a group it's it's almost like a a mini performance i've got eight people in front of me that are being silent while i deliver this information so i still have amber schedule me private lessons all the time just one-offs just so that i'm in a room with somebody and i remember what it's like to teach a one-on-one drum lesson that sounds stupid i mean i I shouldn't even be saying that stuff but it it is my personal reality i i can't lose that you know yeah for sure Um, i mean like i said last time i had this really quiet fusion gig to play and it took a while for those chops to come back. You would think it's you know those that's you would think that's not a muscle memory because you're just playing quieter. But it took a it took a while. I mean, it was right. Like I I didn't realize how heavy my bass drum had become until I was no longer playing like on a full production. It's like I'm playing in a small room, acoustic, you know, no mics. And I was like, wow, my foot got really heavy over the past couple of years. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. No. I, you become you you become even reliant on that volume to get different licks and chops not licks and chops but really just the rebound of the stick and w- all of that stuff becomes normal i think you know the hardest thing for somebody in your position because i've seen you do so much amazing stuff that was based off of another drummer like hey i clearly studied Art blakey for a while and i clearly studied elvin jones it's like well but what would mike dawson say on the instrument when it when it came time for the mike dawson clinic you know and that's a a scary thing of like you know, you, you'll retreat because I did. The first thing is retreat into like, oh, well, I'm a groove guy, and it's like, okay, yeah. uh, BS. Now play a drum <laughs> yeah. solo. Like, so, yeah, so my thing Keith was, uh, I'm yeah. a teacher. <laughs> yeah, totally. I'm a teacher, and it's like, and Thomas Lang was like, no, you will play a solo tomorrow. <laughs> I'm like, I'd really rather not, T. <laughs> T. Dizzle, I'd really rather not. And then yeah. you know, sometimes, and then it's like, okay, well, then stop being a drum set clinician. That there, that's part of it. Not that you have to, but. It is kind of expected. They, they, at some point, no matter how much I teach, they're going to want to see some fireworks or even almost they want to see proof of concept. Like, yeah, okay, yeah. show us, tough guy. So, <laughs> yeah. um, well, 
You know, man, someday I would really love to do a clinic on the East Coast with you and just have the Mike and Mike podcast clinic, and <laughs> you'll have to play a 10-minute drum solo. So <laughs> I'm not afraid of them. I'm just not, you know, it's just, it's just daunting. It's like someone saying, write a book. Yeah. You know, go write a no, book. No, it is. Well, what the hell? What what I want to talk about? You know, it's like what have I researched enough to feel like I actually can have an opinion on? That's kind of how I think about yeah. drum solos. It's like, yeah, I can go up there and play things that I practiced, or I can play in the style of someone. But I'm like, why? Well, why am I the one to be doing that? You know, it's a lot of self doubt, but BS. It's it's oh, mostly yeah. self doubt. It's all in your head, but the other thing that really sucks is the few times that you actually start to really believe in yourself in practice, the next day, you you totally hate yourself again. You're like, come yeah. on. <laughs> I mean, because I'll go home and tell Amber, she's like, how was practice? I'm like, babe, smooth sailing. I know who I am as an artist. I really dig my drumming. And then the next day, I'm like, I, I shouldn't even be allowed to play in third grade concert band. I'm the worst <laughs> drummer ever. It It's such a... I don't even know how I haven't turned to drugs and alcohol. <laughs> Just me and the tea. Me and the tea, buddy. Oh, good times. All oh, right. So, so really, you didn't want to talk drum solos. You wanted to give me a therapy session. No, I, for myself, <laughs> I think, more importantly. I mean, cause for I both can, of I, us, man. I would tell you, like, when, when they called me about this thing tomorrow, I was like, man, I don't know if I'm, if I'm the right guy. But I know that I, I certainly can teach three drummers to, to do a drum solo. But it was just that instant, like, f- you know, fight or flight syndrome. It's like, yeah. oh, I don't know. I don't know if I want to do that because a lot of my mentors are going to be there from grad school and a lot of my peers and guys that I really admired at the time. I'm like, I don't know if I want to be going down there and, and pretending to be and qualified. Exposed. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, dude. Totally. Trust but, me, I know. But, you know, I'm I had, going for uh, it. Well, I would say there there are times where it actually just is the wrong situation for you. And then there's times where it's just your chance to step up. And I think this is, this is that instance for you. I had Kathy Rich ask me to host the Buddy Rich drum camp. And it was like, well, I'm not chickening out. That's factually incorrect. Like, that's the wrong <laughs> situation for me, Kathy. Like, just because I hired my friend to paint a picture of your dad doesn't mean that I can host the... Bu- I, it's like, I'm not a big band drummer. That's the wrong situation. Mm, yeah, so I had to... Politely decline. Politely <laughs> decline. It's like, let, let Greg Potter do that one. That is not my gig. But uh, anyways, all right, well, let's get into our feature drummer. Who is our feature drummer this time? Uh, well, we got Victor DeLorenzo, from, formerly from the Violent Femmes. He is featured in the September issue, which is just out now. So um, I just wanted to kind of talk about him a little bit because he's still busy as ever. He's not in the Femmes. He hasn't been in the Femmes for a while, but he's still Was he their original it. drummer? I don't think he, hmm, that's a good question. I don't think he was the original drummer, but he was the drummer during the height of it, like all the significant records. Blister in the Sun. Yeah, exactly. It's so, I mean, it's it's definitely one of those bands like the Flaming Lips where the average music fan thinks of them as a one-hit wonder, but the, the the people that know music know how deep that band goes, right? Yeah, and, and the fact that that music I, I is mean, still being played in bars every single night. Every band has to play <laughs> that song every single night. Yeah, and yeah. he did it with just the snare drum and brushes. I mean, that was it. And and killed it. And, <laughs> and killed, killed it. <laughs> he probably sold more brushes than than Clayton Cameron. I mean, <laughs> the guy yeah. sold a lot of brushes because everyone had to buy them because of that damn song. Because of that song, and uh, I did see them. Uh, I was in, I was in college, so it was in the mid nineties. 
and they were amazing live. Absolutely amazing live. I saw them same time. I, I remember he brought the snare up to the front of the stage. Yep. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I saw them at a at like a festival. Beck was on the festival. Beck was sixteen at the time. Oh, wow. He was like this young phenom kid. And uh, but I remember the Violent Femmes being like, "Wow, okay, well they're they're a badass band. It's not just a one song thing." So what's he doing now? Yeah, his current project is called Nineteen Thirteen. Um, okay, I have to be honest, I haven't checked it out yet, but um, it sounds pretty cool because sometimes they have two drummers. It's definitely like a performance art kind of a vibe. That's always been his thing. Like he's, he's okay. definitely a performance artist who plays drums. Um, he still has the same basic setup. He does have a bass drum and, and some toms, <laughs> but he's still carrying that. Uh, did you see him when he played like a it was like a wash bucket upside down? Did he have that when you saw him? No, I I don't remember. I was it's like a, I was a child. <laughs> it's like a big. It's like one of those steel wash buckets that you would like. That, okay, like Huckleberry Finn would take a bath in or something. <laughs> I gotcha. I gotcha. It has the handles it. on both sides. Yeah, exactly. He's it's like yeah, a bushel, yeah, like yeah. a steel bushel. He's got it upside down. Bro, I gotta down. say that the Huck, the Huck, <laughs> the Huck Finn reference gave me a pretty good visual. I, I think you kind of crushed it with that one, <laughs> showing your literary chops. <laughs> and I've never even read the book. Uh, <laughs> oh no! Don't let me down. Come on, you're my literary idol. That book's bad. I always get nervous saying big words around you. I know. It's crazy. <laughs> it's so silly. But yeah, Come he on, has that thing. Book. He plays it with brushes, and he calls it um, calls it a transophone. And it's actually listed <laughs> in awesome. his setup. It's it's the transophone. It's labeled letter E on his drum set setup. <laughs> and it's like a wash bucket you know on what? a snare stand. Do you think maybe that we're laughing at our lack of creativity and how boring our drum set is if it got listed out? Because yeah, I don't I mean, have I don't have anything that I'd be like uh, rack tom floor tom bass drum snare drum and then I'm like watch out side transophone yeah. I'm crazy <laughs> yeah I don't have anything cool uh, what uh, what kind of drum set is he playing It's a Ludwig classic maple gorgeous one of those it's like a black uh, black sparkle and he actually uses the cool. old acrylite that's in the black sparkle finish Do you ever see those I, I didn't even know they made that. Yeah, they came out in like the maybe the mid or late nineties. They they look they're just an acrylite, wow. but they're painted with a black sparkle, and they're pretty awesome. I have one of them, and it sounds really cool. It looks like a black beauty, but it's it's not. Okay. It's a it's an acrylite. So he's using it's an that. aluminum shell. Yep, super cool. But yeah, can you imagine like having to carry a wash bucket around the world because you're on tour uh, and you, that's your I, signature sound? <laughs> no, no, I really can't. I can't even imagine. Like, is it his? Or does he have a writer where he's like, okay, when I get to Egypt, this has to be there. Otherwise, we can't play. I think it's. I think it goes everywhere he goes. <laughs> you think he's got a, a wash bucket road case? <laughs> That's all. He called JNL. He's like, all right, I need a custom road case made stat. That's probably, awesome, man. Well, probably. <laughs> I, I wouldn't doubt it. I, we had to do that for quite a few things that we took out with us. So, uh, road mm. cases, for those of you that have never toured, road cases are a lifesaver. Because they can take a beating, man, and and they're and you can get them custom made. So I'm sure he has a road case for that thing. Yeah, I was yeah. always wondering, like, is there a road case for for Neil's when they brought out that kit that where it's like bolted to the stage, yeah, and right. they roll it into the truck and roll it out? Is there anything that goes on the top of it, or is it just a sheet? Or that's I mean, a good question. That's I like a hundred twenty five thousand dollar kit. I imagine they just rolled it straight out of the truck, just set up. Yeah, I guess right. I mean, I know that, uh, that unreal. Seems to be yeah, I mean that's. I mean they're obviously they're not flying around the world with that thing, but it's. I, I bet that they were just rolling it out. 
Which is, you know. Way to stay on topic, Johnston. A lot of, <laughs> lot of, lot of talk about Victor. So let's get back to Victor's wash bucket. Uh, yeah, he's so he's, great. Say the name of the band again. They are called 1913. And it's, it's basically awesome. a project with him and a cellist. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, I, I need to do some more studying up on it, but it seems really cool. And he's just, he's, he's an artist. He's a, like a visual artist who plays drums. It's pretty cool. That's awesome. All right, well, let's yeah. get into a little bit of gear review stuff. So you get to review the Zildjian, it's called the S family, right? Yeah, they uh, they replaced their, um, what is it? The Z, remember the ZHT? It was like their budget line or mid, mid-level mid yep. student symbols. It wasn't the super cheap stuff. Yep. It was like the next level up. Well, they got rid of that, and they revised the whole line to be more of a professional line. So it's 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 made of B12 bronze. Um, they're not okay. calling it. They're not calling it cheap or affordable. It's just a new series of symbols. It's the S family. So they have their, huh. you know, their K's, their A's, and the variations of that. And now they have the S's. Um, they're pretty cool. They sent um, a whole set. So I got like a splash, a couple pairs of hi hats, uh, thin, medium hey. thin, and rock crashes. They're trash crashes, which have uh, I think they're like half wow, inch they, holes. They make. W- yeah, they make weights of their crashes at that price point. Yeah, I mean it's a full line. It's that's it's, cool. It's a full line that's thing. really cool because I, I mean that was always my beef with those more affordable lines is they just had sizes. It was like eighteen yeah. crash, nineteen crash, but you never got thin, medium, and heavy. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's definitely cool. And they um, some they have some real guys using them. Uh, Jason Bittner is using the China, like that's part of his okay. setup. Uh, Josh Dunn, who we talked about last time, he's using yeah. the hi hats and stuff. Um, I think Matt Griner is using some of them. Yeah, Matt Griner is using some of oh, them wow. with August Burns Red, and it makes sense because they're um, they're kind of more contained but still powerful. So if you're okay. a real heavy hitter, they're good for not you know just crushing everybody's face off every time you hit a crash. They're a little bit more t- tighter sounds, a little bit more controlled. Now, when you're playing, what what ride did they send you? Did they send you the heavy ride. I had, or, uh, I had four different ones, 20, 22, 24-inch oh, medium, and then a 20-inch rock ride. Okay, so let me ask you this. When you're playing a 20-inch rock ride, and it's, I know that you said that a, a while back you were like, I needed, I, 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 I think you fell in love with a rock ride at some point, yeah. like just that thicker yeah. symbol. Yep. But just in general, it's not your normal Mike Dawson sound. When you play something like that, do you try to change your playing into something that would fit that set of cymbals to get the right vibe on it? Or do you stay as jazzy as you are, but playing a rock cymbal? That's a good question. Uh, I think it's subconscious. My touch adapts to the cymbals. So, okay. So you're giving them a fair shake. Yeah. Initially with the 20 inch medium, I might've tried to play a little bit, you know, a little bit splashier, but then instantly I hear, okay, well that, that shoulder sound is not really something that I'm going to go for. So I, I just focused on more articulate stuff, a little bit firmer. Got a touch. So yeah, yeah, it just kind of happens naturally. But um, but they weren't. It wasn't. They were still fully functioning symbols. It wasn't like I was hitting a brass symbol and I was like, oh, I can't get anything out of that. This is still a, a fully professional ride symbol. Um, they were nice. The twenty four was actually something that was really cool. I would use that on rock gigs or like bigger bigger stages and stuff. They were nice. The china was really good. Really, that's yeah. rare for like a, when they when they have. It's either the most expensive China in the world or Wuhan, but anything yeah. in the middle is—it's too thick. It always goes like, "Kang." No, this one's thin. Oh, is it? Oh, nice. Yeah. 
I was gonna say with the twenty four inch ride, you have to you have to move that cymbal stand over a little yeah. bit because it it'll yeah. overlap your rack tom. That's a big cymbal, man. It is, but you know it's I use a them a lot, so I'm kind of used to it. But, Do you really? Uh, yeah, the twenties actually feel weird to me. They feel too small. I use like nineteen or twenty inch crashes a yeah. lot of times. So the twenty inch ride is like feels like just a crash. Um, but yeah, the yeah, china was so thin weird. that it actually it actually inverted in the case. So when I when I took the symbols out of the case, it was like you had a inverted. step on it. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I left it. I didn't even I didn't even bend it back. Oh, I just shut left up! It. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That is awesome, man. It sounded Nicely good. Done. Yeah, it sounded nice. Oh, that, cool. And the trash crashes are cool. They're the ones that have the holes in them. So they're yep. they um, it works really well with this series because it kind of because B12 bronze is a little bit like more of a laser kind of a sound. So this kind of yeah. broke up the overtones a little bit more. The twenty-inch cr- trash crash actually sounded more like a like a K to me. It just had that oh, really? little bit of complexity. They were pretty nice. sweet. Yeah. So what are we going to hear on this sound test? Ooh, I don't know which chunk I'm going to grab yet, but it'll be it'll definitely okay. be the fourteen-inch hi hats, probably the thin crashes. Um, okay. And maybe one of the medium rides. I'm pretty sure the splash will be in there too, right, for good measure. <laughs> Nice. Well, let's give him a listen. Right now it is time to get into a bunch of your guys' questions. Thank you guys so much for sending in your questions. You can keep doing that at mdinfo at moderndrummer.com. Send us your written questions or your audio questions. What do we got, buddy? Uh, we'll see. We've got a handful here. Um, but let's first, I wanted to clarify a few things because uh, some listeners and friends have been pointing out that you know because we're improvising our conversation, we don't plan it out ahead of time, we might overlook some facts. <laughs> Nothing, nothing major. Just key components of the story. We're very busy. We're ve- we're very busy. Well, okay. In in our defense, this whole podcast was meant to be letting the world listen in on the conversations you and I were already having. So yeah, exactly. I, I I know that when I talk to you on the phone, I'm counting for at least thirty percent BS from whatever you say because I'm like, we're just talking. We're just dudes. And you got to at least account for forty percent from me. I don't know anything yeah. about astrophysics. I just start yeah. running my mouth. <laughs> I just need all to right, be careful so, so what, when we're we're talking about gear. That's all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so gear or uh, yeah, I heard he quit the band. Yeah. Right. Yeah, there's a job opening. Right, in the so we, uh, so uh, <laughs> we we reviewed the D Drum um, Reflex Rally Sport kit a couple couple weeks back, probably a month back or so. Yep. And we weren't sure about how the kit was available, so we wanted to make sure that it's completely clear that D Drum is is available at dealers only. They're not selling direct. Um, 
Right. Their, web, their website and, is designed. It looks like you can just buy it there, but what happens is you. It's I think it's Shopatron. You place the order. It, it sends that yeah. order to your dealer, and then you go pick it up. So they're not they're not trying to cut out drum shops or anything like that. No, not at all. And uh, and I actually found out Aquarian's doing the same thing. They're using Shopatron as well. And okay. so uh, yeah. So and I think I was the one. I was on their website and I was checking out. And the whole time I stayed on their website. Yeah. All the way through the checkout process, so I figured it was direct. And what happens is, once you place that order, just like you said, that order goes out to a bunch of dealers. The one that's closest can pick up the the order and say, "Okay, we'll fulfill this order." So you are still supporting your local shops and everything. So yeah, so that's, that's that deal. one thing. And then uh, Porter and Davies, I wanted to clarify between their various products. We talked about the Gigster, I think, two weeks ago. Which the Gigster mm-hmm. is is like their super portable version that you can take it anywhere. You can take it to a, a gig at your local pub. I use it in the studio, but they actually designed it to be taken out because it's so compact. So I want to make sure that that's clear. And also, their most popular product that most of their artists are using is the BC2. That's the one that comes in a 10-inch flight case. That It's still portable, but it's its own separate case. Um, but then they also have a rack-mounted version, which is what I was referencing about so the gigster is super compact you can take that out the bc2 is is still portable but it's you know has its own case you can't put it inside another case and then there's a rack mounted one if you have another if you use a rack with a sampler or whatever you can just put this rack mounted uh motor in there and it'll control your throne so that's the Porter and Davies three products. Hopefully, I got that right. Yeah, I couldn't, <laughs> couldn't, co- I couldn't possibly be more confused. Thanks for clearing that up. BC two, um, so the BC two R, and the Gigster. So we got our first slaps on the wrist. I love it. <laughs> well, no, there. You know, it's just you know, we just we go through so many things. Yeah, we don't want to misrepresent anything. <clears throat> no, I totally agree. All right, let's get into some questions. What do we got? All right, so here's a question. We got a question from um, Michael Beachy again. He wants to know um, if we could discuss the importance of ear training for drummers. How far should a drummer go into music theory and harmony studies? Ooh, wow. Well, that's, uh, I think that's one of those things where everyone that's ever done it has says it is a huge help for them at some point in their, in their musical career. But there's also people that have never done it at all that have done just fine. So it's I think it's kind of like the reading thing where yeah. you can find examples of drummers that can't read a single note and can play things that I'll never be able to play in my life. And then you can find lots of examples of great drummers that read and, and they preach the gospel of reading. So, yeah. I mean, you did all that stuff, right? You had to go through all of the harmonic yeah, theory and everything. I did. And and for me it was really valuable in being able to communicate with other musicians better so if they say you know go to the four chord or whatever i i know exactly what they're talking you know about where that is um, sure and that has, and that chord change has a certain implication with the mood of the song so it's it's not just knowing what measure they're on or what you know if they're in the key of c they're playing an f it it actually has an emotion attached to it so when you go to that four chord that means you have to do something on the drums um, right. and that and studying um a lot of jazz harmony, which is really complex, that got my ear tuned to the point where I don't when I when I learn a song, I don't have to count anymore. So that has been very mm. valuable because I just I just know the progression. If I hear it yeah. once, I know that it, I know what makes it cycle back, what makes it repeat. So if I'm in an improv section where someone's soloing over these changes, I don't have to think, "Am I on the second eight bars? Are we going to the bridge now?" I can just hear it. So that. Right. I think is is super valuable if that's the kind of music you're going to go into. Um, 
as far as how far to go into it, I think you should probably have a basic knowledge of, of music theory. You should know where the notes are on the piano. You should know chord types. You should know basic, you know, circle fifths. I mean, these are things that I don't see any reason not to, you know. I mean, you should, yeah. and if you're ever going to get into songwriting, you, you're going to have to know that stuff or else you're just going to play like riffs, drop D riffs for your right. entire career. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, uh, I mean it's all about what you want to do, but I I think it's very valuable yeah. for for me becoming more aware of the music and not just plan my parts, which is it then opens me up to be more you know just involved in the musical experience. Yeah, yeah. yeah so and I, knowing it doesn't mean that you have to flex your muscles in every rehearsal. You know, I I've yeah. obviously grew up in school music, so you you couldn't even get into seventh grade band without knowing the circle of fifths and and even as a drummer even if you decide i'm not paying attention you're still stuck there for 20 minutes while he's working with the flutes and then with the horns and with brass and so it it rubs off after 10 years of school music but it doesn't mean that i go into a rehearsal and just say you know what we should go to a major you know it's like i don't it's like i'll sit i'll wait but like you said, it is nice to know. Or if if I walk, you know, maybe we start in the middle of a progression somewhere, just knowing where we're at right away. It, it's yeah. it's nice. Um, it, so it also, I, th- I mean, it also uh, makes you. I think it makes you appreciate the listening experience more. Like, yeah. I think case in point, the reason that most people don't relate to jazz is because they can't hear it. They can't hear the harmonies because the harmonies are so dense. They're so they're purposely designed to be deceiving. Uh, so for me it took me years of studying it before now it becomes the listening experience opened up like I can hear where they made this substitution so instead of going to the chord I thought it was going to it went over here and now it's taken me in this whole other world so for ear training for me it's just made just the, the experience of sitting down and listening to music that much better I'm not just listening to the drums or just to the lyrics or just to the rhythms wow. so there's many values that's cool all right. Hopefully that helps, Michael. What's next, buddy? All right. Moving on. We've got, um, I think we sort of touched on this topic, but it's a it's one that keeps coming up. So what do you guys think about compact kits versus big, louder kits? What shell sizes would be good to look for in a compact kit that can still be easy to haul yet sound good? Nice. Yeah, I, I still think, we have talked about this, and I still think... It, Whatever whatever brand you want, but I just I literally call it the Gretsch Catalina Club because that yeah. just was the one that came out that was affordable and it became the the benchmark. But a nice twelve, eighteen, and fourteen with a snare. I, I anything after that, I mean, it, it's going to get a little toy sounding. It's not that it yeah. won't work. It's not you can't use it. But I have the Gretsch. Uh, I guess it's called the Catalina Street Kit or whatever. It's just like the Questlove Breakbeats Kit. It's it's a ten sixteen. And God, maybe the floor time is a twelve or a thirteen, and it, it's it's a novelty. It doesn't yeah. sound like a drum set. It sounds cute, you know, and, yeah. and yeah. it might have its own purpose for practicing. It might have a random purpose for recording a specific sound, like a toy drum set. But when you have a bop kit, I mean, God, like you think like, well, I could play this, or Brian Blade could p- play this. This is a professional sized drum set. It's just smaller and more portable. I think really, it, oh no. <laughs> No, you're back. <laughs> All right. By the way, guys, if our podcast is a little choppy this episode, I am in – I'm not just in Ireland. I'm in the middle of nowhere at a castle <laughs> that I'm the, – the Wi-Fi is doing everything it can. It is not the Irish people's fault here. Um, 
But what I was saying is like, a, you know, a bop kit, it's a professional sized drum set, depending on what kind of music you're playing. And you can get that bass drum to sound as fat as you want. Yeah. And yeah, you get that. I mean, it's, you already have a 12 by 8, so you can make it as thuddy as you want. I, I think that is the way to go. What do you, now, since you get to review this stuff, what else would you recommend besides the Gretsch Catalina Club? Is there a Thomas Silverstar in those sizes? I think any of any of them are going to be similar. Um, if that's okay. really what you want, I think. I think it comes for me. It comes down to is it is it more important to be compact or is it more important to sound like a real drum set? So, like right. for, I wouldn't go smaller than if I was just thinking I want to get a drum set that I can use on pretty much any gig, whether it's with microphones or not microphones, small stage or a big stage. I would get a twenty inch bass drum, like a fourteen. That's, by yeah, 20. that's what I'm playing right now. Because you can yeah. tune it up for bebop, or you can dan- you can put a lot of muffling in it and still get a real punchy, thuddy sound. So I, I'm kind of hesitant on saying, you know, play play your local bars with a with a bebop kit, or or yeah. just get a get a kit that that you can use for everything. Like I can use my 20 inch bass drum. I have used it for big productions with with rock bands, and I've used it for jazz for many years. So that it's kind of like a what's more important i mean if you need something you can throw in your trunk and load it in on one trip well then you're going to sacrifice something which is going to be the depth and the power and it is going to sound like a a toy even the ones that are kind of cut in half like the i don't know what they're called the traveler kits yeah yeah they can sound cool but i i wouldn't use it i think a 14 by 20 inch bass drum is is probably the best size to cover all styles um except for like the led zeppelin uh, tribute band but no, totally. And then a, you have a 12 and a 14 toms, which are what would have been on the Bebop kit anyways. Right. So yeah. it's not taking up any more room. Uh, I, I think that's a great idea. By no, the way, who asked that? Did you say? Oh, yeah. No, that was Andy from uh, Pittsburgh, Kansas, which I didn't know existed. Wow. Yeah. So hopefully that helps, Andy. Um, let us know what you get, what you end up getting. Yeah, please. All right. The next one is from Chris. Um, his his he has a goal is to be comfortable sitting in on a casual gig or an open jam session. So, with that in mind, how should he approach building up his repertoire? Should he focus on one genre at a time, a time, or should he learn songs in multiple styles simultaneously? Ooh, interesting man. I would say first of all, I would say start with Pandora, and you don't have to choose an artist on Pandora. You can actually choose like hits you can choose mm. 90s hits uh today's hits all that kind of stuff did you just play a guitar no you hearing guitar oh. <laughs> <laughs> i seriously gotta sleep how are your ears <laughs> for all that traveling <laughs> did you just play an arpeggio that'll just happen you sweeping over there hey everyone we just witnessed uh, the first stroke here on the modern drummer podcast <laughs> You smell smoke? You smell broccoli? <laughs> what the hell is that? Oh, goodness gracious. And by the way, I don't have video of you anymore. I just have, it just says uh, the video will resume whenever you leave the castle. So, All right, sweet. Um, but at least I got audio. I can hear you. So, <laughs> okay, so I think something like Pandora would really help because if you're going to try to chase down all these individual songs, it's going to be really hard. You can just, like I said, just type in today's hits and you will get what they're probably playing at bars and then you can do 70s hits 80s hits 90s hits no one in a cover band well no one that's getting paid in a cover band is playing b-sides at a bar right all right there i mean maybe one or two they get to slip in their favorite every now and then but they're playing hits so i think that's important and then i think the other thing is mentally you have to mentally audition or mentally put yourself in these moments you have to close your eyes 
and just imagine yourself sitting in on a foreign kit. The toms are in the weirdest position you could ever imagine. He only has two bees in his bag for you to use. Everything is uncomfortable and you just make it work. You have to mentally get yourself through that so that when the moment presents itself, you've already experienced every possible outcome. That's full. I mean, if you go back to any DVD that Michael Jordan ever spoke in, that is his. That was always his process. Mentally put yourself in the situation. That way, when the clock counts down to five seconds, you've already experienced every possible outcome, and you don't have any nerves at all. Right. Yeah. Good advice. My only thing to add to that would be you should probably go to the jam session you're thinking about sitting in and just hang out for a couple times. Like, don't even expect Absolutely. to play. Go, you know, yeah. th- two or three times and just kind of see what songs everyone keeps playing, and then. Yeah, take notes. So if you know that that they're going to play these Jimi Hendrix songs and these Eagle songs and these whatever songs, go learn those right. songs. And then when you can come in, you're yeah, like, All right, I can play one of those. They have a set. They have a set list, and that also gives you that mental picture that you're looking for. So that when you close your eyes in your practice space, you actually can visually see the room. You can smell the smells. You can recreate it in your head. The mind can take you to some really cool places. So hopefully that helps, yeah. buddy. All right, we'll I'll do one that. more. Yeah, we've got um, okay. We've got this one coming in from Kevin Filmer. He wants so he, so he says he knows the advantages of match grip and the disadvantage of traditional grip. Uh, he feels comfortable with traditional grip, but he's basically starting from scratch because he hasn't played drums in like twenty years. So okay. should he just go match grip full on from here on out? I say yes. If you're twenty years out, well, look at you. Just get Bold. rid of the traditional grip. <laughs> Oh, and that's that's cool because you do. I mean, when you play jazz, you play traditional grip, right? Yeah, I probably play it fifty fifty. Um, but yeah, I was going to say. I, I mean, it's not like you're anti. I don't have a single student I've I've taught since. Uh, I mean, I had maybe two students who wanted to learn traditional grip in in twenty years of teaching private lessons. So, right, it's just not, I would not force it on anyone. If someone comes in and says, "I want to go to drum corps or whatever," I need to learn this grip then we'll dig in and we'll we'll dissect it like crazy but just if you're just looking to get your chops back forget about that thing <laughs> just go matched right For, <laughs> yeah man i i i i'm with you uh I, it's it's just hard for somebody to say here's the disadvantages of match grip it's like yeah okay i, yeah. I don't see it yeah and you i don't think match, that there's you like you can't march snare drum in the drum corps that's your that's your one disadvantage yeah, exactly and if you're 20 years out, then that means you're over 20 years old, so yeah. you're not marching anyways. So <laughs> exactly. all is good. All right. Well, I think that, that'll, that'll help. And, and honestly, you said that was Kevin, right? Yes. Kevin, it just comes down to the result. You've know, got to feel comfortable on the drum set, and you've got to get to that result. And, and I think what Mike's saying is match script is going to give you the, the best opportunity to, to feel that way. So go for it. Well, you want to do some picks of the week? I forgot mine. Okay, well, I'll, I'll do mine <laughs> while you look around the office and, and pull up every website that you visited in the last 10 days. <laughs> so my pick of the week, guys, is a traveling saver for me. And I don't even know if I'm I, – I guess legally I'm allowed to recommend drugs. Um, so it's over. It's super over-the-counter. It comes in the form of a gummy vitamin, so I don't feel that bad about it. But uh, – when I travel, especially when I'm traveling into different countries, obviously sleep is an issue, but my problem is I'm not vacationing. So I get dumped off in Ireland and the next morning I have to wake up 
and teach a class alongside two of the greatest drummers in the world. So I have to have my A game right away or I get dropped off in Spain and tomorrow I'm going to have to play a clinic and play a drum solo in front of a sold out crowd with all of my favorite drummers on the stage. So sleep is really important, but I'm not a fan of sleeping pills, maybe because I, I don't drink, I don't do drugs or anything. So a sleeping pill will stay with me for like two days. Like I cannot shake off the fogginess for a long time. Just don't have a high tolerance for that. So I use uh, chewable melatonin gummies and yeah. it's just enough to get me through the, a night of sleep. I, I, and I wake up and I feel fine. I don't feel groggy at all. They don't make you feel extra sleepy. But if you're just getting close to that sleep area where sometimes you get stuck and you can't fall asleep, two of these chewable gummies will will get you into the sleep world and then you get a great night rest. So especially when you're a little jet lagged and it's two in the morning, you're like, man, I can't sleep right around 10 p.m., two chewable melatonin gummies, and then I have a good night's sleep. So I know it's a weird recommendation, but maybe there's some of our students that are some of our listeners that travel as well. Yeah, I haven't had insomnia in forever. I mean, that's like the worst thing imaginable for me. I can sleep on it's a dime. I can fall asleep right now if you ask me to. <laughs> Dude, I've yawned I think 62 I times during this podcast. <laughs> yeah, I know. We've, this, this one's been a little out of control. So to our loyal listeners, thanks for getting through old episode 54. It's, yeah. You don't even understand. Before we started, I was running around this castle with my laptop with Mike. Like, can you see me now? Can you? It was like like the Verizon guy. Can you hear me now? It's just, it was just horrible. So, uh, we're doing everything we can to get you guys your fix for Friday. So did you find a pick of the week while I, I extended my melatonin chat? I'm trying to find mine cause I, I stashed my cell phone. I'm trying to find it so I can tell you the name of this app. Uh, wait, aren't, aren't you oh, I'm aren't on, on your cell phone You're, right yeah. now? Never mind. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> so we're anyway. using your cell phone to FaceTime. <laughs> Forget oh I said God. that. So, so, so let's last, forget your blonde for one moment. <laughs> so last week, my pick of the week was clapping music by Steve Reich. Yes. Remember. Well, I didn't know that there's a free app on the app store that is clapping music. Oh yeah. And it, it's a game. So you can play the entire piece and it gives you a score. And if you, your score gets high enough, they actually put you in a pool to, to go perform the piece with an orchestra at some point. They have contests. Oh my gosh. So it's it's a free app. I think you just look for clapping music, and it, what it does is it plays the the ostinato, and then you have to tap out all. You go through each variation. I think like eight or t- eight times or so. And if you're accurate, it, it takes one away. If you're not accurate, it's kind of like a Tetris. Like it, right. it falls down like a Tetris board, and you got to play the rhythms, the variations in time. It's super cool. The first time through, I was I was money. Second time through, my score sucks. <laughs> it's, it's a lot of fun. I think it's just called clapping music. I think that's probably, I mean, it came out a while ago. I mean, not too yeah. long, but it, maybe a year or two years ago. And I think that's how I found out maybe about Steve Reich. I'm trying to remember how I found out because I found that uh, mu- music for 18 musicians. That was my first introduction to him. But that might have even been through that app. Like, uh, But I remember because yeah, okay. when that app came out, everybody sent it to their closest drummer friend like what's your score i was like i, yeah. I don't know my score is 11 just leave me <laughs> <Yeah>. alone <laughs> I, I i can't even i'm working on my rudiments right now i'm not going to clap but but <laughs> it, it is really cool once you get into it. it it's absolutely and it just teaches you about permutations as well yeah i mean it's it was interesting if if nothing was around me you know no dog no people talking i could play it perfectly but as soon as there's any kind of distraction for me the downbeat switches on me 
So then, yeah. So which is fine, but once you go into the next variation, if you don't know where the one is, you're not gonna you're not gonna start the next variation in the right spot. So yeah. it's a it's a good concentration uh, practice tool, and I've been wasting a lot Love of time it. on it. But that's the whole piece. Like essentially, when you play the game, you're playing the entire piece of music as it would be that's performed so cool. on a stage. Could you imagine writing a piece of music that was so well thought out that somebody could make an app out of it? That's a free awesome. app that probably costs nothing to produce. <laughs> you know? Right, yeah, yeah. Hey, but I mean, he probably sold a lot more music because of that app. That just people yeah. wanted to find out who he was. I know I did. So, Well, get your butt to Target and buy some melatonin gummies. <laughs> don't go crazy. Don't do four. They taste hella good. I got the peach flavor ones. Don't, don't. They're not candy, kids. Uh, and then go download... Uh, what is it? Hand clapping? <laughs> clapping music. Clapping. <laughs> I got it. I got it. Steve Reich's clapping music. Check it out. Well, hey, it's, I don't, I don't you know, know if there's an Android version. I know it's on the iOS devices. I'm not sure about Android. There you go. Yeah. We could have mailed this in, but we could have given him a best of, but we, we, <laughs> we went for it. We did our best, man. That's all we can do. All right, buddy. Well, have an amazing week. And uh, when I when I talk to you next week on uh, whenever we speak, I will be back from this camp and I will give you a report on how everything went between myself, Mark, and Ash. All right, buddy. I'll talk to you soon. See you.